0: This episode is powered by data storytelling training from Untold Content and Data Plus Science. Transform your data into powerful visual stories by learning best practices in data visualization and technical storytelling. Whether you're a Power BI or a Tableau person, or you just want to better communicate your insights, this workshop will inspire you to see the stories that lie within your data. Learn more at untoldcontent.com slash data storytelling training. Welcome to Untold Stories of Innovation, where we amplify untold stories of insight, impact, and innovation. Powered by Untold Content, I'm your host, Katie Trout taylor Every year, public health is threatened by unknown mosquito-borne diseases that tend to be transmitted in the warmest areas of the United States, like California, Florida, and Texas. Certain mosquito-borne diseases, like Zika, for instance, can easily be transmitted by blood transfusion, which is why Dr. Benjamin and Obi Greenman of Cirrus Corporation have worked with hospital systems and blood centers around the world to reduce the risk of transmission through pathogen reduction, which ensures that hospital patients are receiving clean, disease- and virus-free blood. This is an urgent and important part of the medical conversation right now, especially as we are all much more attuned to pandemics and all of the impacts that they can have on our society. Dr. Benjamin is Chief Medical Officer of Cirrus Corporation, and Obi Greenman is President and CEO of Cirrus. Thank you both so much for being on the podcast today.
1: Thank you for the invitation.
0: So, Dr. Benjamin, you've spent 13 years as uh, chief uh, medical officer for the American Red Cross and then, of course, have played an integral role at Sirius. We'd love to know... um You know, it's interesting, our team started preparing for our conversation with both of you today and we saw, of course, the American Red Cross focuses on disaster relief and provides a staggering 40% of the nation's blood and blood components. Can you tell us more about the innovations that, that you're both currently working on at Cirrus and why they're so critical in today's time?
1: Safe blood is something we all expect. But after the HIV epidemic, I think we all have this nagging fear that perhaps what we're not getting is as safe as we would like it to be. The Cirrus Corporation has developed a a series of technologies to actually uh, almost sterilize blood products so that you can treat a blood donation after donation. And if there's anything in the blood that could harm a patient from an infectious disease sense, uh, we can inactivate it and uh, protect patients. Uh, that innovation for me is, is, is the culmination of almost a lifelong journey from my days when I was a medical director of one of the Harvard blood banks and I actually saw patients that were affected by bacterially contaminated platelets or hepatitis C. Uh, it also impacted my time when I served as chief medical officer for the American Red Cross where I could see I was responsible for the safety of almost half of the country's blood supply. And you would see reports coming in. They weren't that common, but they were common enough to know that there were still problems with diseases such as West Nile virus and Zika and other infectious diseases. So Cirrus really, to my my mind, provides a solution that can really um, protect patients. And that's what really motivates and drives me.
0: Can you share?
2: Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Just to add to that, um, I think a lot of the employees at Cirrus have a similar experience to Richard, where we were really impacted by the HIV and hepatitis uh, epidemics back in the 80s and 90s and the impact on blood safety at that time and the the fear that existed for both physicians and patients who were receiving blood components about what might be in in a blood uh, unit and so uh the founder of the company dr larry korash who was at ucsf uh in the 80s you know really embodies that kind of uh spirit of innovation of you know how do you solve this problem prospectively so that with future epidemic threats you don't have risk of the blood supply and you ensure its availability uh i had a similar experience in my early career at baxter healthcare where we were making blood-derived therapeutics for diseases like hemophilia, but also for other uh, patient populations that were immune compromised. And the big fear at that time was, are we gonna transmit uh, an unknown virus uh, in, our, in our in our blood blood drive therapeutics? And so it really has been a lifelong dream for many of the employees of CIRIS to try and come up with a new foundational strategy for blood safety and availability.
0: It's such important work. Can you tell us about the culture of innovation inside Cirrus and what led your teams to get to this point of of discovering some of these these new uh, would you call them technologies that that you've produced or uh, processes for for cleaning
2: and? I'd say it's a technology that that is it's a, basically a photochemical approach to sterilize blood, as Richard uh, mentioned. And, you know, our main focus is on uh, the clinical benefit for patients. And, and I think, uh, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of sort of history of the company about uh, disease transmission through blood components and how we prevent that. And I think, uh, you know, the impact also is just the, the scope of what we're doing on patients globally is, is huge because there's so many patients who get blood components on a daily basis. Uh, and it's also estimated that 40% of the population will get some kind of blood, blood component or blood drive therapeutic in their lifetime. So our main, main focus is on the clinical benefit uh, that we can confer to patients and, uh, and also you know, it's really providing our, our customers, which are blood centers around the world that process blood components, they collect and, and process them uh, before they're distributed to hospitals to help those blood centers do whatever they can in their power to ensure the safety and, and also the availability of blood.
1: Maybe I can add to that, you know, at Cirrus, I've met a really dedicated uh, group of people who really see the patient as, as the end uh, end result of, of our technologies. Um, we There's a desire to really do the best to develop the best technologies, the simplest and cheapest technologies that can be implemented to, to protect patients, and that's one of the driving forces why this, the company that's now you know almost twenty seven years old has has just persevered and succeeded in expanding its um, its footprint worldwide um, into almost every continent in the world now. And
0: it's critically important, like I mentioned when we first kicked off this conversation, for mosquito-borne diseases like Zika, which can be transmitted via blood transfusion. What other diseases should we be uh, paying attention to that this this innovative work can help to re- reduce the likelihood that that pathogen is passed through blood?
1: Let me take that one. Um, when I joined the American Red Cross in 2002, uh, the first Thanksgiving after I arrived, I remember vividly reading an article in in the New York Times of a number of patients um, who got West Nile virus through a blood transfusion, including one that died. Uh, This West Nile was very current at the time on the East Coast, and we just didn't know or dream that it was transmitted by blood. And we got a rude shock um, that weekend because there was a clear case of transmission Um, And we waited a year before a test was available for West Nile virus. And we know that uh, dozens of patients were infected with West Nile, that's a mosquito borne disease, um, during that year. Subsequent to that, um, when I was working with the American Red Cross, we collected and distributed blood in Puerto Rico. uh, And they had outbreaks of first dengue, and then chikungunya, and then finally Zika. And while I was chief medical officer, I actually approached Cirrus Corporation and said, what could they do to help us in Puerto Rico? So one of the first places in the US to use the Cirrus technology was actually the American Red Cross in Puerto Rico, where we implemented it to protect the um, patients against chikungunya, which is a mosquito-borne disease. And then, of course, two years later, we had Zika come through and, and sweep Puerto Rico, the Caribbean islands, Brazil, and the southern um, uh, southern parts of, of the U.S. Just to make it very personal, there's actually is a, a dengue mosquito-borne virus outbreak happening today in um, the southern parts of Florida, in Miami. There's actually local transmission of dengue again. It it. it blood-borne pathogen that that we don't test for uh, in the blood supply. So so it is very current.
0: And so it sounds like there's an ever-present need for continuing to understand emergent diseases and pathogens um, and also to better understand the ones we think we already know.
1: Absolutely. Actually, another another great story is um, Dr. Larry Korash, our founder back in the late 80s, one of the first experiments he did was with uh, non-A, non-B hepatitis. He was working at the National Institute of Health um, and Dr. Harvey Alter, who won the Nobel Prize this year for his work in non-A, non-B hepatitis. Uh, Larry Koresh had the opportunity to try the technology in chimpanzees with uh, Dr. Alter. Um, and so the tie to hepatitis C And the work at the NIH has been very strong through the years um, at Cirrus. Uh, And Dr. Alter has written some uh, very strong supportive um, pieces on the technology and the need for pathogen reduction. So we were very pleased this year when we saw that our colleague, because I think many of us know him well, um, actually was awarded the Nobel Prize for that work.
0: It's incredible. Congratulations to that. It's, uh, it's amazing how innovation stories can build over the years and, um, and inter- interweave and overlap. I-, I have a burning question I'm sure most listeners are curious about, which is what about COVID-19? What do we know about its ability to transmit through blood? And is this something that, uh, that risk can be reduced in some of the technologies that you've created?
1: Maybe I should take that.
2: Yeah, Yeah, you should.
1: You know, when COVID broke out in southern China end of last year, that was one of the first questions they asked is, what about the blood supply? Um, And the truth is uh, we didn't know for a long time. Uh, There have been a couple of publications that have looked at a small number of of donations, and we know that if it happens, it's infrequent. We do know that when patients are very, very ill, They can have the virus in their blood. Um, But very, very ill patients aren't blood donors. The donors that are asymptomatic are the ones you're worried about. Um, And uh, it it, it is in the blood, but very rarely. And so it's not considered to be a um, major blood threat. But let's be clear that that was pure luck. The next next pandemic we have could be just as well uh, blood transfusion transmitted without us knowing it. And it takes many, many months after a disease is discovered to actually work out what the risks are. And during that period, patients may be exposed and may be at risk.
0: Which is likely why pathogen reduction is so important and ideal um, in order to help prevent against that or at least have a safety net available so that we're not having to... um, you know, unknowingly, put people in danger through the blood blood supply. Yeah, absolutely,
2: yeah, indeed, that that's uh, you know increasingly been recognized also by the FDA. Uh, we just were awarded a eleven million dollar grant from the FDA to develop some sort of next generation pathogen reduction technologies because they believe we're on the right path to safeguarding uh, the blood supply for red cells, platelets, and plasma. But having a whole blood pathogen activation technology would also be helpful. And and I think just in light of pandemic preparedness, uh, a lot of government agencies like the FDA, but also uh, US BARDA, which you've probably heard about, which is funding a lot of the the COVID-19 vaccine development has also provided Cirrus with a lot of money over the years to support the innovation that exists at the company.
0: Congratulations. It's exciting to see it getting supported. And I'd love to know too, can you share with us a little bit more about the innovation story, the path um, that, that brought you to the point where this technology is today? Was it a clear, you know, going from point A to point B? Was it a circuitous path? How how um how did the story change over time?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, the technology was originally developed out of both UCSF with Dr. Larry Koresh, who we've already mentioned, but also a number of scientists out of uh, UC Berkeley who were actually photochemists. And so they uh, were developing uh, different chemistries uh, that are activated by UVA light. It's actually an interesting uh, sort of natural uh, phenomenon that that plants have these photochemicals in them, and they're sort of a natural insecticide. So when insects eat the the chemicals, uh, and then go out into the sunlight, it, it actually uh, kills the the insects, and it sort of uh, prevents uh, the plants from being eaten. Um, and so the the innovation story really was, well, how do you take that and and derivatize those uh, compounds into something that ultimately could inactivate pathogens and blood components without inactivating uh, the blood components themselves. And that was developed in the the early 90s and it took a while uh, to have something that easily could be configured into blood center operations around the globe. Our technology today is implemented in both small blood centers like in Tahiti uh, to large blood centers in the United States at the American Red Cross, uh, for example. Uh, but you know, it really took a while for uh, the technology to be broadly implemented, and it's still, uh, in fact, uh, being uh, sort of gradually deployed. So it's not a, a foregone conclusion that pathogen activation should be the foundational strategy for blood safety. Uh, I think the, the evolution of testing over time, you know, and, and its uh, efficiency uh, worked, but as as more and more pathogens enter the blood supply, it gets harder and harder. For uh, to have a system that that actually is sustainable, and so that's again why we see uh, agencies like the food Food and Drug Administration really you know looking at pathogen activation as sort of the definitive safeguard for the long term. Uh, to maybe add a little bit to the innovation story, you know as as the company has rolled out the technology, uh, we obviously are always on the lookout for how do we improve uh, the technology? how do we iterate on it? So that it's easier to use and more cost effective, but also we see opportunities for uh, partnering with our blood centers you know, to try and create uh, solutions for uh, specific patient needs. And one of those is, is a product that we hope to have FDA approval on by the end of this year. Uh, it's a, a product called crap precipitate, which is used in critically bleeding patients. Uh, and the the problem that we were trying to solve for for physicians like trauma doctors and and OB/GYN uh, physicians who treat maternal hemorrhage, is that they don't have the product readily available because it's a it's a frozen product typically, and it's also not configured in, in the dosage that that makes the most sense. And so, at the company, we figured, well, if we can use our technology to sterilize the component, maybe it can sit out at room temperature. Uh, for a week, and then will be readily available whenever a physician needs it for a patient who might be dying from from blood loss from a car accident or from childbirth.
0: Wow, that's absolutely incredible. So, so is that then? Did that is that happening now?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Uh, so we've uh, we've submitted to the FDA for the approval of the product, and uh, we hope to launch it uh, by the end of this year, early next. And, uh, it's one of those things that we believe will really change patient outcomes because, um, it's, you know, broadly known that the leading cause of death for people under the age of 40 years old is, is traumatic blood loss, either from, you know, car accidents or, or, um, or gunshots or maternal hemorrhage, which is a big, uh, cause of mortality for, uh, for women, uh, of childbearing years. Uh, so... And, and, the, and the goal there is to really intervene as early as possible uh, when a patient is is losing a lot of blood so that you can prevent the need for even more uh, blood components being transfused.
0: You know, when you talk about technologies that are so, have such meaningful impacts on society and at the individual level, the, my next question might seem uh, like like it's e- maybe easy to answer, but... I was curious to know how you connect your audiences to the impacts made through your innovations and and maybe this is a good time to to ask who are the audiences that you speak to as you work to put your technologies out into the world and how do their different needs you know impact the way that you connect with them and and help reveal what the what impacts are made possible
2: yeah, I'd say that the uh, the main audience for us is, and the story that we're telling are blood centers and hospitals. And so you know, for blood centers, they have a very difficult job. I mean, Richard probably can expand on this uh, better than I can, but you know the uh, the necessity of maintaining the blood supply with all the variations associated with bringing donors in the door, making sure that they're eligible to no- donate blood. Making sure that you then can process those uh, blood components and then distribute them across uh, all the hospitals in the United States, and that's a big job. And uh, so, you know, what we're hoping to do is is show them that with a technology like ours, at least you know a lot of their concerns can be addressed. Whether it's donor availability, uh, so a lot of donors, blood donors, are deferred from donation because of concerns about uh, uh, transfusion-transmitted disease from from mosquitoes, for example. So you have malaria or dengue or chikungunya like Richard mentioned before. So if, uh, if you're in the United States and, and you travel to Mexico for vacation, for example, you are banned from donating blood for that period of time. There are other donor deferrals like tattoos because uh, the blood centers and, and uh, transfusion specialists are, are concerned about you know some kind of disease transmission from the tattoo needles to the, to the donor. And then you know, one that's gotten a lot of press is around uh, gay male donor referral. So, based upon the history with HIV, um, there's been many decades now in which uh, uh, gay men are, are not allowed to donate blood, and that's only recently been modified so that now there's a three-month donor deferral for for gay men. Um, and so, you know, I think uh, you know basically what we're trying to do is. is take uh, the technology development that we have at Cirrus and make it real to these blood centers and hospitals as to the problem that we're trying to solve for them and, and also and ultimately for, for patients.
1: Not only are we trying to make blood safer, but we're trying to make better blood products. So uh, if in a, in a platelet transfusion, if you don't need the plasma, Uh, and you take it out and replace it with an additive solution so that you get fewer allergic reactions to that platelet, but the platelet is just as potent at stopping bleeding, that would be a better product. Um, uh, Omi mentioned cryoprecipitate. We, We haven't really changed what the cryoprecipitate does, but we make it more available and more readily available to patients when they actually need it. So, uh, you know, it's an improvement that's not just in safety, but also in availability and usability um, of blood. You know, over the, over the last uh, 10 years, there's been a tremendous move away from transfusion in, uh, in medical circles. The country actually uses 30% less red cell transfusions than we did 10 years ago. And part of that is driven by doctors who are worried about the safety of blood products. And um, what we've learned is how to more appropriately use blood when it's really needed, and then not to use it when uh, it's not really needed. And so we believe that our products, uh, by making them more available and safer, uh, give physicians some confidence in the use of their blood products as well. So the, the whole industry around transfusion is, I think, quite rapidly improving and we are part of that innovation for patients.
0: Absolutely. I, this brings me to a question about transparency too. Uh, to what degree from the, the and you you spoke so beautifully to the way that you need to meet the needs and, and solve the problems faced by blood centers and hospitals and health systems. And I'm thinking, of course, their mission is always at the end to serve the patient And from a patient perspective, how much transparency is there around whether the blood that they're receiving or the blood components they're receiving um, are sterilized or have gone through some of these processes?
1: It's a really good question. Uh, You can imagine that when you arrive in an emergency room, having just been in a motor vehicle accident, this is not the thing you're worried about. Right. And and we'll probably only think about, you know, three weeks later as you're lying back in your bed at home thinking, oh, I wonder wonder what what happened to those 10 units of blood I required. Where did they come from? Who were the donors? Was it safe? On the other hand, if you're a cancer patient and you're getting a transfusion of a plated product every week or every couple of days, and you know that over the next six months you're going to require 40, 50 uh, blood products, this is something you have time to think about. Today, if you, you know it very much is dependent on the hospital you go to. Um, some hospitals use pathogen reduction technologies today, and some don't, and you don't really have a say in, in, in what what happens and that's one of the unfortunate things about um, how, the, how the system works is that the ultimate end user is not the person who gets to make the choice. Um, or even to understand what the ch- what the uh, uh, what the choices could be. So, you know, if we could get to communicate with the ultimate end user, patients, that would be wonderful. Uh, but that is, that's that's a difficult thing to do.
0: It reminds me of, you know, something being certified organic or having other sort (laughs) certified, sorry, that's a terrible metaphor. But yeah, I was thinking, you know, fair trade or other things that people stand behind from the consumer's perspective and say, I believe in that and I want to get behind it. And granted, the stakes here are a hundredfold more critical than that. But but, yeah, it would be interesting to see more transparency or a level of demand coming from uh, citizens to say, hey, we we think that this should be a standard or we have a right to know.
1: Yeah. You know, where I think it could be the most apparent is on the blood donation side. Obi mentioned um the the issue that perhaps our technology can prevent deferrals of, of donors who've been to malaria at risk areas or, or or gay men. Um, there's nothing more demoralizing for a blood donor to walk in and want to volunteer blo- uh, to, to give blood and walk into a, a um, donor center and to be turned away. Um, and if we could do anything to uh, to, to lessen that uh, that burden, then I think we will help the supply tremendously and also help donors feel a lot better about giving blood and supporting patients.
0: Absolutely. That's a really beautiful point. That's It's so important. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I would love to know what advice you would give to innovators. I, I you know you've mentioned so many powerful stories around this innovative work and uh, thinking of things from multiple perspectives. and i'm curious to know what what advice would you give to others as they pr- prepare to convey? what are you know what we've talked about is fairly medically complex. and, so how would you recommend that other clinicians or clinical researchers work to convey their great ideas to investors or to the audiences that most need to understand them in order to help change medicine for the better?
2: Yeah, I think that it really comes down to the, the mission of the company at the end of the day and having a very clear focus on that 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 lasts uh, over time and perseveres. So. The company was founded on on the basis of trying to improve blood safety and availability back in the early '90s, and that mission has never changed. It's allowed us to recruit people into the company who feel uh, very compelled by that mission and passionate about what we're trying to do, given the scope of of the uh, the impact that we'll have on patient outcomes globally, and the number of patients who receive our technology on a day uh, receive blood treated with our technology on a daily basis. It also serves to align uh, all the the folks at Cirrus and any company around a common goal. And at the end of the day, there's you know always trade-offs with regard to priorities, especially as companies grow. If you can stay true to that singular mission, uh, it, it really is critical. And it also helps you know with the overall storytelling about sort of you know how the company has evolved from stage A to stage B to stage C, if you will. Uh, and, and and sort of you you can tell a, a story um, of, of of founding, but also a story of perseverance and a story of, of success.
1: And I think my journey to Cirrus, when I joined five years ago, is a good example of that. I first met the founder in about 1998 when I was a um, director of a blood bank in Boston at one of the Harvard hospitals. Um, and Dr. Koresh came in to. Um, he wanted to do a large clinical trial in patients, and and I, and I was one of the investigators in that trial in the late '90s and early 2000s. So um, it's amazing when you, when you when you actually meet folks that are very mission driven, and you can align with that. How um, 15 years later, it it wasn't a difficult decision to call up. Um, OBI and say, you know, I really want to come work for you. And <laughs> that's pretty much how it happened. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, the mission, the the importance of patience and working with extremely smart people who are good at what they do. Um, I think that's you, you couldn't really ask for a um, a better combination.
0: I love that story. And I think it speaks to exactly what Obi was saying as well, that sharing those stories of your personal reasons why you're there and also continuing to transform those personal reasons into organizational narratives to help us reflect back who we are and, of course, form all of your employees in in alignment with that mission. I think storytelling is, uh, you know, bottom up and top down at the same time in strong organizations. And it sounds like um, Cirrus is a a powerful example of that, where there's a clarity of mission and story coming from leadership, but also individual employees having an important and critical role to play in the enactment of that mission and sharing their individual stories from the bottom up will then continue to shape and tweak the direction, um, of the, the larger brand story.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, Well, thank you both so much for being on the podcast. This has been incredible. Where can our listeners find out more about the, both of you, uh, Cirrus and the technologies you, you shared with us today.
2: Well, we've got a, a great website. It's www.siris.com. And I think we also have a, a pretty uh, strong presence on LinkedIn and some other uh, social media uh, venues. Uh, so I encourage you to uh, follow us on online and uh, really grateful for the opportunity to talk about uh, the serious innovation story today. And also uh, the whole transfusion medicine community and the unsung heroes out there in blood banking who have really, uh, Kept the uh, the U.S. healthcare system going uh, during this COVID nineteen pandemic. So, thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much. Yes,
2: Enjoy. yes. Thank you,
0: and thank you for for that shout out to all of the the healthcare providers who are working on the front lines and in blood banks. You're right; they think that they are unsung heroes. That's true. Well, thank you both, and I hope to talk to you really soon. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye, Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to follow us on social media and add your voice to the conversation. You can find us at Untold Content.